Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor David Hall. If you'd like to find out more about David or to keep up to date with his ministry, you can visit davidhall.com.au. We hope that you enjoy the message. Mark chapter 5. And I want to have a look at the, uh, at the 18th verse of Mark chapter 5. And it says this, And when he got into the boat... He who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home. Somebody say, go home. He said, go home to your friends. Tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him And all marveled. I want to use for a subject this morning, preaching just a few moments, a message entitled, A Dangerous Deliverance. A Dangerous Deliverance. You read this story, and I've just given you the last verse of what is an intense story that really many speakers and preachers will draw a little bit from the multiple layers that are happening in this passage to preach messages that, that, that have great keys to faith, keys to breakthrough, keys to understanding the character and nature of God. But in this story, I guess the biggest theme that I see when I look at, at what has happened throughout the stages of this story, and we see that it begins with Jesus on a boat and there's a storm and he comes a storm and and then he comes to this city called Gadara and he encounters a man full of demons and who's in a terrible situation and and Jesus sets him free and we we also know in the story that after after the demons come out of this uh, out of this man the demons kind of they, they want to go somewhere else rather than just away so so Jesus sends them into the herd of of pigs and 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 2000 pigs just start running in into the sea and they drown and oh no it's a cra- it's just a normal day in the life of Jesus and as you do that's where we get deviled ham from and so you read this story <laughs> that's silly and so you read this story that is funny I mean some of you, some of you are just you're too serious this morning you're like no I'm not laughing at anything because I want to get out of here by 11 30 it ain't gonna happen <laughs> so you might as well enjoy And so we look at this story and we see that Jesus goes on an incredible journey of faith, of dominion, of deliverance. There's lessons the disciples have to learn about faith. There's deliverance that takes place. You watch all of this unfold and there are lessons in this story, in this story, in this story. Here we see God doing things. There we see God doing things. But we also see a lot of discomfort that Jesus would have endured and, and discomfort that definitely the disciples endured. I imagine that often Jesus didn't mind them enduring a little bit of discomfort. I just think every now and then he just kept them on their toes. But you watch this story play out and you realize that it all seems to end up coming to a climactic moment where this man gets healed. Oh, oh sorry, delivered. He would have been healed, but delivered, set free, and then called to preach the gospel. And I look at the, 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 the massive journey that Jesus went on to call and deliver, deliver, deliver one, deliver one man, one man, and then save one man. And so I want to have a look at, at really what Jesus endured to set a man free. 
And I also want to remind us today of what Jesus endured so we could be free. I want to remind us today that sometimes we sit here and say, Lord, where are you in my circumstances? Where are you in my stuff? And I want to tell you, Jesus is with you every step of the way. He was with you before you even joined him. And he has a plan for your life and mine. And I want to tell you, Jesus didn't endure nothing so you might have life. He endured death. He endured the grave. He endured a scourge. He endured mockery. He endured bondage. He endured being tempted by the devil on all fronts. But I want to tell you, aren't you glad he didn't fail? Aren't you glad that he never failed? Aren't you glad that he's king of... Come on, somebody. Would you praise him in the house this morning? Aren't you glad that he's king of kings and lord of lords and son of God? And so we see this story and, and we see a dangerous deliverance. And I guess even before I get into this, I want to ask, what are we willing to do to see someone set free and called? What sacrifice are we willing to make to see lives changed and lives impacted? What... what, 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 what uh, what stutter are we going to keep doing before we get the next sentence out in our message? What are we willing to endure to see someone find their destiny? What are we willing to endure to see somebody step into their calling? What are we willing to endure to see a life made better for the kingdom of God? I feel like it's all good for Jesus to go through what he went through, but when it comes to us going through what we need to go through, I think sometimes we've got to get to a place where we understand the, 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 the weight of responsibility for us. Because the Bible says to whom much is given, come on somebody, much is required. And I think if he's willing to go through a dangerous deliverance to get us free, where, where's some danger in our walk with God? That Jesus went through a pretty impossible situation to get people delivered. And I look at my life and I think, what am I prepared to endure? My dad one time was preaching in Pakistan. I've never been to Pakistan. I've flown over it on the way to somewhere safer. And you know, but my dad's preaching in Pakistan. And as he's preaching in Pakistan, the, the, there is a death penalty for defaming Muhammad. So he's got this crusade happening, 40,000 people a night in the crusade. And so he was preaching these sermons and then letting the local guys do the salvation altar call, which, you know, he's, his, his, uh, you know, basically preaching a nice message of faith and miracles and letting the other guy do that because dad didn't want to die. And dad's in, dad's in the hotel and God speaks to him and he says, uh, do you want me to bring you some cheese? And dad says, sure, but why? And he says, because you're a mouse. And uh, he said, I've called you to preach the gospel. So the next night he gets up and he preaches a message, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever. He said, there is only one way to the Father. It's not by any other God except him. It's Jesus Christ. And, 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 he, and Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. So he, he preached the gospel. He preached the centrality of Christ. 10,000 Muslim people gave their hearts to Jesus in one service. When's the last time you went through something dangerous for deliverance? And you know, I'm not saying put yourself in harm's way. I'm saying we've got to step out in faith. We've got to get a bit of danger back in our walk with God. When's the last time you opened up and told someone about Jesus? When's the last time someone came to you sick so you said, well, I'm going to try this silver and gold of our none, but boom, Merry Christmas. Hashtag receive the power of God right now. And so, you know, as a church, I believe we've got to get a little bit more radical about seeing lives changed and impacted by the power and the presence of God. And today, I want to talk to you about what Jesus endured, and there may be some things we need to endure as well, because it's Disciples endured those things with him in a lot of these moments. And I want to have a look. What did Jesus endure? What lengths did Jesus go through to deliver a man? Number one, number one, he endured a storm. 
If you flip back to the, to, to the previous passage in Mark chapter 4, it, go, it tells us this. It says, On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, he said, let us cross over to the other side. Now, that is significant right there. As Pastor George said last Sunday night in church when he was preaching, and I don't know about you, I love Pastor George. He's my favorite preacher in the world. He said, he said if you want to see a move of God in your church, preach the red and pray for the power. But, you know, here's some red that you need to listen to because he said, let us cross over to the other side. Let me tell you, before we even talk about a storm, before we even talk about anything, no matter how big that storm was, no matter how big that storm was going to be based on what the devil tried to do, if Jesus says, let's cross over. Let me tell you, just on his word alone, they can know that they were going to be on the other side of that, of that sea. No matter what happens, if Jesus says it, when Jesus said, let us, I'm telling you, he ain't going to be drowned by some devil that brings a storm. You say, well, how do you know the devil brought the storm? Because when Jesus rebukes something, he's saying it's out of order. He's not going to rebuke something that he created. He rebuked the storm. He said, peace be still. But you think about what the disciples had to endure, the fear that goes with it. Why? Because Jesus was willing to go through a storm. He was willing to fight with the evil one to rebuke that storm or not fight he basically told the evil one which way it was going to be but the bottom line is he was willing to endure all that why because he knew that there was going to be a dangerous deliverance and I want to encourage us as a church to understand that sometimes the storms of life that we face sometimes those things that we face on the way to pursuing what God's promised us we get all worried and think it must be over sometimes what we think are indicators that it's over are indicators that the enemy's coming against the plan and the purpose of God. And I want to tell you, if Jesus Christ is in your boat, if Jesus Christ is in your boat, I'm telling you right now, I don't care about the rough seas of life as long as I know that Jesus is in my boat. And let me tell you, whatever storm you face, there's always a peace be still. Whatever problem you face, there is always a peace be still. And we need to start seeing what Jesus can do and realize that he said, greater works will you do. It doesn't necessarily mean, we're, it doesn't mean we're going to do better things than he did. It just means there is a release of God's power and spirit upon each of us. So the same power that rested on Jesus individually rests on all of us corporately by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, all authority is given in my name. So when the storms of life come against your family, against your finances, against your hopes, against your dreams, church, you realize you have the authority in God to declare to the storms that the enemy brings in your world, peace, be still. When's the last time you did that? Some of us, some of us need to understand the power of a peace, be still. We need to rebuke some storms. Some of us, we, start, we, we don't even know the art of rebuking. We think the only rebuking we experience is when we're getting told off by our wife. And you know, which I've never experienced because I'm such a model husband. She's blessed. Talk about the favor of God. But do you know, a rebuke is simply telling the enemy based on the authority of the blood of Jesus, the authority of what Calvary's released in your life, rebuking the enemy is simply saying in the name of in the name of Jesus, peace be still. <laughs> in the name of Jesus, you can come this far, but no further. Why? Because no weapon formed against me shall prosper. It doesn't say it won't be formed. See, we as Christians, we think getting saved means a perfect life. <laughs> uh-uh. Now, really bad. bad. I mean, bad in the sense that you're going to find trouble. You're going to find opposition. 
Now, let me tell you, it's the greatest life. It's the greatest adventure that you can ever have. When you leave all, though none go with me, still I will follow. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Can I tell you, when you follow him, there's demonic opposition, there's problems, there's challenges, but you enter the most incredible adventure in life. And you might not know Jesus this morning. I want to tell you that it's the greatest life that you can ever find. To, to find him, you find life eternal. The Bible says the, the, the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy, but his come that you might have life and life more abundant. Can I, can I tell you, being saved is not, when, when people get up and say, you'll get saved, life's just going to be wonderful. Life's going to be amazing, but it's going to have storms. I'm a faith person, Pastor George. But to be a faith person doesn't mean that we don't believe there'll be storms. It just means that we believe that Jesus is in the boat. Faith isn't an absence of storms. Faith's getting through the storms by faith in Jesus Christ and trusting, holding to the hand of God. And when things go wrong, we begin to declare the name of Jesus in impossible circumstances and see victory and see life. He endured a storm. It's interesting that in Matthew's account of the story, he rebuked the wind. You know, sometimes there are unseen problems in your life that come against the people of God. And it's interesting that Jesus didn't rebuke the waves, he rebuked the wind. Sometimes what's manifested in the seen realm is caused by something in the unseen realm. And we need to understand what it is to take authority in the unseen dimension and see things change in the seen dimension. Too often, we we look at our circumstance and start speaking to those. We need to sometimes speak to the thing causing that circumstance, say, in the name of Jesus. Can you say amen to that? Number two. So he, he endures a storm. And then we see that he confronts the powers of hell. You might be visiting saying, why, why are you talking about hell? Are you you're one of those churches that believe in hell? I think every church believes in hell. Some just don't talk about it. But the truth is there are two, two realms. There's the heavenly realm. There's our realm. And, 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 and there is a third place. And there's a place called hell. I don't believe it's a figurative place. I believe it's a literal place. I believe everything you read about hell in the Bible is, is real. I believe that going there is going to be the worst place that anybody could go. And some people say that why would God create such a horrible place? I think it's less about God creating a horrible place. More, it's about a place that just completely exists without him. There or present. And to what level? He might be there in a non-revealed way. God's everywhere, so I don't want to get into that. But what I do know is that that is a place of torment. It's a place of absence from God. If you look at everything that's wonderful with this world, it's because of the God factor in this world. You take the God factor out of here, you got hell. I mean, are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? Hell, some people think God created a mean place. No, he created a place for people that just didn't want to be with him. And so if you want beauty and majesty and the goodness of God, it's tied up in Jesus. But I do believe hell is a real place. I believe in torment. I believe in fire. I believe in a lake of fire. I believe in all of those things. I believe hell is real. And you might say, well, that's not good news on a Sunday morning. Can I tell you, it's the best news on Sunday morning because you have a way of escape. You have a, you have a name that's above every name and and uh and I, I i really do believe this morning that and i don't want to get into the depth of that and we will in weeks to come we're going to do a series here at church called this we believe and we're going to talk about a lot of these things that we believe and go through the just the ins and outs of what we believe as a people and as a church and the christian faith and, and but i but i do want to look at this for a minute because you got to understand jesus confronting hell is is a is a pretty significant thing to have to 
to have to face, to, to, <coughs> to come in basically direct con- contact with the cohorts or even the very being that caused the fall in heaven, uh, the, 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 the split in heaven with the angels to fall, to cause the fall of man. And uh, also knowing that really Jesus is facing these demons. And keep in mind, he's not intimidated. He's not worried or anything like that. He's not at their mercy or anything like that. But he faces these, these beings knowing that these are the very reasons that he's going to get scourged on Calvary, that he's going to have to face the crucifixion and, and literally go down into their dwelling place and take the keys of the kingdom and, and the keys of death and hell and, and, uh, and all of those things. You can understand that Jesus probably didn't have too much regard for demon spirits and, and demonic presences. And so when he faced a demon, he he cast them out, but ultimately he was even willing to face and be in contact with the greatest enemy to the blood of Jesus that could ever be, one that is at total enmity with God and is the antithesis of everything that Jesus stands for. Jesus is holy. This is from a realm that's the complete opposite. It's depraved and, and destroying mankind. Jesus would be in complete and utter hatred of what the devil does, who the devil is, and the devil himself. But Jesus in his grace and in his beauty is willing to confront and be in the vicinity of the mortal enemy of mankind to get a man free. He's willing to, he is willing to, to come in contact with, with the vile powers of darkness in order to pluck one out. Come on, somebody. And he was willing to do that for you and he was willing to do that for me. He was willing to endure hell, death, All of that so you and I could stand here and worship Jesus. And so sometimes as a pastor, I get a bit frustrated when I see a Christian with their arms folded with attitude in the house of God after he endured so much. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that he, that the the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. I want to tell you what a thing to endure. He didn't just endure it, Martin, so you could be saved and me and everybody else. If it had just been you, he would have done it. If it had just been me, he would have done it. And when you think about the pain and the suffering that our master went through so you and I could have life, surely you must accept and surely you must know that you're not just saved because of some fable. You are not just saved because of some religious ideology. You're not just saved because of a nice Bible story that we've watered down and made it look palatable to religious mankind. You are saved because of an old rugged cross. You are saved because Jesus hung, bled and died on Calvary. I'm telling you, if that's not a dangerous deliverance, I don't know what is. You are saved by the grace of God. Somebody shout hallelujah in the house today. Man, I'm getting happy because if it hadn't been for Jesus, where would I be? If it hadn't been for Jesus, where would this man be in this story? He endured death. He endured demons. He endured all those things that we might have life. He endures a storm. He endures a confrontation with the devil. And this is quite an amazing thing. And I want to just, while I'm on this point, I want to talk about this guy's, uh, this man, this demoniac gatherer is the man who he set free, who became the evangelist to Decapolis. I want to talk about this for a minute because this guy lives in a crazy city called Decapolis. At the time, it was really 10 cities. It was the biggest city in the world at the time. And it was a funny city because, because it, it, and, and again, this is history telling us this and, and this is theologians telling us this. And so some of these are men's opinions. So I don't want to canonize them as Bible necessarily, but, but on good authority, it's believed that Decapolis uh, was a city where 
the Jews were in control of that city, but they weren't from there. It was a Jewish city, but they were, they were Jewish people by birth, Jewish people with some level of patriotism to their Jewish upbringing, but they didn't hold to the values of the Torah. They knew the Torah, the Torah or the Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy. They, they knew it. They knew the law, but they didn't abide by the law. They were obviously Jewish by birth and they would call themselves Jewish by faith, but they didn't live it. Book of Timothy talks about people who have a form of godliness, but deny the power. You had people who had a form of godliness, but they denied the power. If you, if you know a little bit more about, about this, uh, these people, they knew God, but they didn't really live for him. And so you had a man full of devils, but there wasn't one person in a city that would claim to know God that could get this man free. And you know, it's a crazy thing when the, when, when the people of God have the form and not the power... We have a big problem. I would, I, would, I would pray that this church would never be, that Life Point Church would never be a church that has the form and not the power. What's the form? We believe the Bible by word, but not by power. We, we, we talk about the Spirit, but there's never a demonstration of the Spirit. I want to I tell you right now that, that, that I am committed as a church to being a church that is a, an atmosphere of faith where signs and wonders and miracles can happen. I don't want to be a church, and I say it a lot, where, where we shy back from maybe praying in the Holy Spirit because we might worry people or offend people. Can I tell you, why would we, why would we deny the very answer to people? problems. I mean, you don't go to the hospital and have the doctor say, look, uh, we do believe in this remedy, but we, you know, it's something we do pro- it's just for us as doctors because we don't want to freak you out. When I get into the hands of the surgeon, I want him to do whatever he needs to do to get me free. And if it means in this service, we have to pray in the Holy Ghost or we have to lay hands on people or, or cast a devil out of somebody. I don't want this church to get so safe that we creep into the territory of having the form and not the power. I preach in a lot of churches. I preached 43 different churches last year alone. It'll be the same this year on different days of the week. Just this week, I've been in Alice Springs. God moved and did phenomenal things. We had a, a revival, and I don't want to get buried in talking about that. I want to stick with what I'm talking about today. But already this year, I, I preach in four different places, and, and God's doing good as well as here. And it's often during the week, and I get back for Sundays, but I see what's happening in the body of Christ. And, and I see the church, and I see what God's doing. And I love the church. I'm excited to be the church, but I do feel in my spirit that there is a sense of God pushing me and prodding me to make sure I keep preaching a message that says, let us not just have the form, but not the power. And I tell you, because if we have the form and not the power, we'll know the words, but we don't have deliverance. And and we need to be a people that are supernatural people. So this guy would sleep in the caves with dead bodies. This demoniac, a gatherer who Jesus set free. I'm not going to lie to you. I really don't want to do that. But I wonder, and this is just conjecture, but I wonder if maybe he found more reality among the actual dead than the spiritually dead. I wonder if maybe there was more supernatural activity in the caves than there was with the so-called people of God. I reckon sometimes people get bound up because they're looking for real. They're looking for the actual and they don't find it. And so they embrace the counterfeit because they'd rather have something than nothing. And the world is looking for spiritual things. 
The world is after spiritual things and finding them. Let me tell you, if you go looking in dark places for spiritual things, you'll find those things. I pray that that's the case with the church. So when people come looking for spiritual things, they find the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? So Jesus confronts this guy. You've got to understand that when he was cutting himself, this guy was crazy. He would cut himself. Now, now we just think he might have just been cutting himself for attention. It's believed that he was using such sharp implements that he was actually trying to, and I'm not trying to be intense, but literally cut off his limbs. He was trying to destroy his body. He's trying to feel something. He's trying to totally bound. And they would shackle his hands and feet. And by the power of darkness, he would break out of those shackles. I mean, that's a seriously demon-possessed man. There's a difference between demon oppression that just when people come, they need to get free from stuff to this. This is total demon possession where the devil's got full control of this life. And, uh, and the Bible tells us that when Jesus went to get him free, Jesus says to the devil inside of him, he says, what is your name? I don't know why Jesus did that, Pastor George. I just wonder if it was a reminder of the torment to come because Jesus would walk past and sometimes would say anything and the devils would say, you've come to torment us before our time. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> but, but, I, but I look at this story and, and I wonder, I wonder if that was the reason. I don't know what the reason was, but Jesus did do it and he said to him, he said, he said to the devil inside him, he said, what's your name? And he said, Legion. And I've read every commentary on this and they all say the same thing. The Baptists say it. The raging Pentecostals, they say it. And by saying legion, what this guy was saying is a legion is this number. 6,286 soldiers make a legion. So he's basically saying there's the best part of 6,300 demon spirits living on the inside of my life. And so Jesus, he says, come out. And that man, that man is free. I guess I've, come to remind you that there is power in the name of Jesus. I've come to remind you that no weapon formed against you will prosper. I've come to remind you that if the devil comes against you, the Bible tells us raise up a standard against him. What's the standard? The blood of Jesus, the, the power of the Holy Spirit, the word of God, the name of Jesus. We have power. We have power. Jesus is showing us because he's saying, he's demonst- all Jesus is doing is demonstrating what we can walk in. And so this guy gets free by the power of God. Man, I feel like getting happy today. He gets free by the power of God. Then it gets even more intense. Now, I don't understand this. I'm doing my best to extrapolate this text. But if you have a look, number, number three, the third thing Jesus did, and this, this is just crazy. The third thing he did as part of his dangerous deliverance is he just decides at the same time, The demons, and and I want to have a look at this in Mark chapter 5. Let's have a look at verse 11 because I want to read it. Mark 5 and verse 11, it says this. It says, well, let's go verse 8. He says, he said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now, I want to talk about that for just one minute. When it says he begged them, it's not talking about the demons. It's talking about the demoniac. The man filled with devils begs God. He says, Jesus, don't send them out. I reckon I could be totally wrong. But sometimes when we get delivered, we get delivered, but we still, we're still not quite sure that we want 
everything we're used to to get away from us. But the other thing that I want to say is maybe, and and again, conjecture, I don't want to preach this as this is what it means, but I wonder if maybe this guy still found better company in those devils than the religious people of the day. But he says not to leave. And so Jesus hears that. And then it says, now a large herd of swine was feeding there in the mountains. So all the demons chime in and begged him saying, send us to those pigs that we may enter them. Now, I don't know what they were thinking versus what God was thinking, but it goes on to say that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Let me tell you something. Nothing happens outside of God's power and presence. He has full authority. Somebody say all authority is in his name. And it says this. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Can I tell you, that's a great church service right there. I mean, if you came to see Jesus do the things that he was rumored to do, you were not disappointed by this spectacle, friends. I'm telling you right now. Not only does he set a man free, but while he's at it, he bankrupts a farm. Because... <laughs> Taking in the Australian average, I googled last night how much does a pig cost. So I try to get the average amount. It works out that these 2,000 pigs with Australian market value is $350,000 worth of pigs drowned in the sea. Now, the Jews, who were Jews that had the form and not the power, who observed the, the, the Torah or the Pentateuch or Genesis or Deuteronomy by picking and choosing what they want, they just decided they'd raise some pigs. And I think the bottom line is Jesus is there. You know what? While we're here, there's some laws that you need to follow. You you, sir, are in the proximity of my power. If you think this can stand while the power of God's flowing, I've got news for you. When I do a deliverance, your sin's going to get delivered as well. Because if sin is in the proximity of the power of God, something's got to give and it won't be the power of God. Can I tell you, his whole world falls apart. This farmer's minding his own business, watching what's happening. This is his farm sick. He's standing there. And then the next minute, the demons are like, can we go on the pigs? And the farmer's going, hang on. The next minute, the pigs, they, they went wee, 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 wee all the way home. I tell you, I'll have you know. They went wee, 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 wee all the way to their suicidal death. They were done. The pigs are dead. Why? Because God wanted to set a man free. And you know something? He'll, he'll walk through a storm. He'll bankrupt a farm. He'll confront the enemy. He'll do whatever he has to do. And whom the sun sets free... Come on, if you believe it this morning, give God a praise. Oh, hallelujah. If stuff is out of order in an environment of the supernatural, don't be surprised if the power of God destroys it. If something's unclean in an environment of the supernatural, don't be surprised if God suddenly takes that thing and plunges it in the seas of forgetfulness. And you might have come here feeling dirty and you leave this place clean and you, don't, you feel clean. You don't know what happened. I'm telling you, you got in proximity to the power of God. Number four. I'm nearly done. Number four. Three minutes and 18 seconds. Who's counting? Number four. He was begged to leave town. So not only did he save a guy, he'll deliver a guy, set him free. Cast the devil out of him. Then the country mob, they saw the city mob, the people of Decapolis are like, we beg you to leave. <laughs> and I'm sure Jesus felt great. He's like, well, thank you. Yes, to God be the glory, great things he has done. Can I tell you, think about what he went through to deliver you. You would have thought that the people of Decapolis would praise God and go, we know this guy. This guy is a freaky guy. And the Bible says he's sitting there clothed and in his right mind. 
And the response of the people is, we need you to leave town. I tell you, let's, let's never be those people that when God does something, we're like, okay, time to go home now. Let's say, God, we need this in our life every minute, every day, every hour. A dangerous deliverance. Number six. I love this. I guess this is not really the dangerous part. This is the fulfillment. The sixth thing he did was he raised up an evangelist. I want to read a piece of scripture to you and then we'll close. Lisa, if you could come. Thank you so much. It says here, and when he got in the boat, so he's about to leave. They, they, they begged him. They pled with him to depart from the region. So Jesus, I like, that's, that's the thing about Jesus that we need to realize in our life today too. If your lives are not lives that are conducive, saying, God, you're welcome, he'll never give you a hard time, but he'll just get in his boat because he's a gentleman. He won't force himself upon you. I mean, grace will let you hold you and it's pretty irresistible. But I will tell you this, we've got we to make sure he's welcome. I'm not, I'm not talking about as a matter of salvation necessarily here right now, but I'm saying even as a church, Holy Spirit, when he moves, I don't want him to get on the boat and leave. I want him to know, no, 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 you, you have to stay. We, we really don't like it when you're not here. We really like it when you are here and we love you and we honor you and we thank you. You are welcome. You are welcome. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. You are welcome. You are welcome. The sixth thing he did was he raised up an evangelist. It goes on to say here that he got in the boat and then the demon-possessed man begged him that he might be with him. The demoniac was going to, wanted to get in that boat and just go with Jesus. Jesus said this. He said he did not permit him. He said to him, go home to your friends. Tell them whatever things the Lord has done for you, how he has had compassion on you. Then he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and marveled. You might have a desire to be an evangelist or to share the gospel. Jesus gives you the keys right here. I'm going to show you. He says this, go home. So in other words, some, some people want to go everywhere else and they think, oh man, one day I'll go here and God's going to use me. Start at home. I mean, let's talk about home, as in home. Home. My, my, first, my first disciple, the most important disciple I have is my boy and my wife. My ministry starts at home. And then it starts in Adelaide. He says, you shall receive power to be a witness to me where? Jerusalem, home. Judea, the state. Samaria, the nation. And to the ends of the earth, the world. Sometimes we're so busy thinking, I'm going to be a missionary. It's going to be great. I'm all for being a missionary. But missions is a gift on your life to build the church. See people saved. Should work at home. Your gift should work at home. It may not always work the same because of a lack of expectation and all of that. But I do believe that we need to start at home. And then God will take us. And he says this. He says, go home. He says, to your friends, the people in your life. And then he says, he gives them three things. He says, tell them. Tell them the great things the Lord has done for you. How he has had compassion on you so he says go home tell them the things that God's done for you and how he's had compassion on you what's God done for you he saved you he washed you in his blood he had enough compassion on you that he endured Calvary for you and all he says to us our response to a dangerous deliverance to whom much is given much is required what do we do we go and we do likewise we tell people about Jesus it's a, it's a simple thought today but I want to tell you you're awesome you're an awesome people. And I tell you, you're so awesome, in fact, that He delivered you. He went to hell and back so you could be free by the grace of God. 
dangerous deliverance. Let's pray. I want to ask a question to those sitting in this room today, maybe those that are listening to this message on a podcast, on a CD, wherever you might be, anywhere in the world, anytime that you might hear this message, I want to ask you a question. Are you right with God? What is your response this morning to the deliverance that Jesus is offering you today? You might be here in this room, you might be anywhere in the world, but I don't know where you're at, but what I do know is Jesus Christ does. Well, heads about, I want to pray a prayer right now to give you an opportunity to find Jesus Christ and get your life right with Him. Maybe you're away from God. Maybe maybe you've just, you've backed off and you know you need to come back to Him and get things right in your life. Or maybe you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. And if you're in this place this morning, you'd say, David, I need to get my heart right with God. Well, everyone's in this room today. Well, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you'd say, David, I want you to pray for me. I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want you to pray a prayer right now. It's a prayer of invitation and it's a prayer to get your life right with God. And we're going to pray it. I'm going to ask all of our church folk to pray this as well. And we're going to believe God's going to take out your stony heart and put in a heart of flesh, put a new spirit in you, give you a new day and a new season in God. Let's pray this prayer together. Dear God in heaven, I come to you right now in the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, it says in your word, which cannot lie, that if I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart, that God has raised Jesus from the dead, I shall be saved. And so right now, Lord Jesus, with my mouth I confess and with my heart I believe. And I ask You right now to forgive me of all of my sin, to cleanse me, to make me new, to give me a new beginning, to wash me clean by Your precious blood. From this day forward, I give my heart to you. Would you take my life? Would you use me? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. I just wonder while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you prayed that prayer and you meant that prayer in your heart, if you're in this place today and you'd say, David, I prayed that prayer. I don't want to embarrass you. I just want you to quickly give me a wave so I can see who I'm praying for today. And God bless you. Is there anyone else? Bless you. That's awesome. Is there anybody else today that would say, you're talking to me? You're talking to me?